Okay, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, good morning. Um, we're getting back together for our Sunday morning breakfast and learning program. And this week's program, this morning's program, sponsored by my shviger, she should be gesund and stark. Le'ilu Nishmas, and her father, my wife Zaida, Rib Shloyme Zaman, Ben Rib Shmuel Chaim Braun, the Baal Mechabra Svarim Sha'arim Mitsuyon Bahalacha, he wrote on Kitzah Shokhanarach, compiled. Shuvis um, regarding Monday Day Halachas, Monday applications of the Halachas found in Kids of Shulchan Aruch. Um, one could say it was even like a forerunner of uh, the very popular Piskei Shuvis nowadays, uh, which goes through all the modern day issues and childless and applications that, are, that we don't find in, you know, in the Mishnah Burr that you need, to, you need to figure out after Mishnah Burr. So it's almost like a forerunner to that. And also on Shas, very well used safer on Shas. And today is his yard site, Gimel Kislev. And uh, as, as every year is, Yartzeit actually comes out back to back with the Yartzeit of Rebaran Kotler, the great Rosh Hashiva of Beis Medish Gavoya, son-in-law of Rebbe Sazam Meltzer. So, so uh, with that being said, thank you very much. You should be good bench. The Yartzeit of Rebaran was yesterday. We talked about Shabbos. Shabbos, we talked about it, yes. Anyway. Um, the Nisham the Shavan Aliyah. And uh, we should have an Ali as well. We should have an Ali as well. He likes. To, he doesn't like to be in striking, striking range. Social distancing. <laughs> no, you know they have like at SeaWorld like the splash zone. Mm-hmm. The splash zone. He doesn't want to be in the splash zone. Sitting a few, a few, a few bleaches up. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. So as we said before, this morning's topic is going to be a Talmudic exploration and, and analysis. The Talmudics of the sale of the birthright from Esav to Yaakov. Okay, and there's a very interesting Talmudic take that gives a whole nother layer to the story, uh, uh, multiple layers to the story, not just one, but uh, multiple layers to the story. And um, on the surface, the story is a well-known story, very straightforward. Esau comes back, he's starving, he wants food. Yaakov's got him where he wants him. Yaakov says, okay, you know, there's one thing I want from you. We'll make a deal. We'll, we'll sell the birthright for the Bechairo, I'm sorry, for, the, for this ball of Shalans. And Asa says, great deal. And they, they, they make, they make the, the transaction. They make the deal. And Yaakov, Yesav walks off with a lunch. And Yaakov rises to the sunset with the birthright for eternity. That's good. That's, that's a well-known story. And what we're going to do this morning is going to peel away a few of the outer layers over here of the story, discover a very rich world, rich and dynamic world of Talmudic discussions that are going on beneath the surface. And I'm going to start off with a question that, that the, the Talmudists ask on this, on this story. This is asked not just by the earlier commentators, it's asked by the, the medieval commentators already, the Rishon and the Akhrein. They ask a very basic question over here. They want to know, how exactly did this sale work? How is this an authentic sale? How could Yaakov make this transaction and end up with a birthright from Esav? There is a basic rule in Talmudics that an item which is called a davr shaloi ba'olam. There's something called a davr shaloi ba'olam, a non-existent commodity, commodity, future commodity, something that's not in existence yet. Generally speaking, cannot be sold. Davr shaloi ba'olam, something that doesn't yet exist, even though you know I, I, I predict and I project that it will exist. It's there, you know, it's going to come at some point. But if it doesn't exist yet. It can't be sold. You can't manipulate. You can't. You can't transact with it. You can't make transactions. It's called davar shaloi b'la'ilam, and and the classic. 
I'll make an announcement after. I'll make an announcement. I was looking for a Lachayim to wish the Shaman Aliyah. Okay. What's the name? Reb Shlomo Zaman ben Reb Shmuel Chaim. Huh? Reb Shlomo Zaman ben Reb Shmuel Chaim. So the, the question is raised over here. We know there's this concept, this concept in the Gemara that a Dabr Shaloi Bala Oilam, you cannot make a Kinyan on. Something that doesn't yet exist, doesn't, has not hoved into existence yet, you cannot make a Kinyan on this. And classic examples of that are if I go to Stan, Stan's, Stan likes to make deals, he likes good deals especially. I say, Stan, you know, I have an apple orchard up in uh, upstate Pennsylvania somewhere. I'd like to sell you um, next year's crop of apples. And everyone knows nobody makes apples like my apple orchard. And like, I get the best apples in Pennsylvania, bumper crop every single year. And so I want to sell next year's apples. So you can't do that. Mar says you can't do that because I'm selling something that doesn't exist yet. It's called a Dabr Shaloi Bal Oilam. In halacha, Kenyan doesn't work on this. So they ask, basic question, how could Yaakov have sold the birthright to Esau? How could Esau have sold the birthright to Yaakov? He's selling something that doesn't yet exist. He's selling rights. He's selling, he's selling uh, Rashi says, working in the Beis HaMikdash. He's selling his double portion of inheritance. He's selling all kinds of things that come connected and attached to the, for, to the first for the, to, the, to the birthright of the firstborn, and all these are a double shaloi bal oilam. So this is a question that Katsayis famously talks about it. The, the, but the, the, the early, as we mentioned, the earlier commentators as well, the medieval commentators already raised this question, and they, they, they throw this out there that, you know, this is a story that on the one hand, yes, it's a story. On the other hand, if the Torah is presenting it, it has to be authenticated. It has to, has to have validity within the framework of the Torah itself. It's presented within the Torah. It has to be self-consistent with the rules of the Torah. Okay, so let's put that question on the side. We'll get back to that question momentarily. Then we're going to explore a few approaches to that. But before we get back to that question, I want to just go through the details of the story itself. Let's point out some peculiarities with just the details of the story and the details of the story. A few interesting things. So the story is well known. Again, Aesop comes back from his hunting trip. He, we're told he just killed Nimrod and he's famished, he's starving, and he blunders and blusters his way through the door. And what does he tell Yaakov? Give me, what does he ask from Yaakov? He demands what? What does he demand from Yaakov? That stuff you're cooking. That stuff you're cooking, and, and he describes it. What is he? Blue, red stuff. The red stuff. Give me some of the red stuff. We pointed out Shabbos. You're not even asking for red stuff. He's asking for red. How's that? Give me red. I see red. Give me red. He doesn't even say stuff. Even that he doesn't get out of his mouth. Give me, give me this. Give me red. I see you have red. Take the red and pour it down my throat. So Yaakov says back. Okay, uh, Yaisav, you want something, but I also want something. Yaakov's ready to, to, to talk. By Yomer Yaakov, now I want to read through some sukkah over here and point out again some, 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 some strange um, details that when we analyze the psukim seem to, you know, again, be strange, to catch our eye. By Yomer Yaakov, First of all, Yaakov says, sell kayom, sell like today, today. Sell me your birthright. What's kayom? Why does he need that word kayom? So Rashi says, he's speaking uh, metaphorically the same way. Today is very clear. Give me a clear sale. Okay, that's a nice chat, but on the surface, what's he saying on the surface? What's the punishment? Sell me as today. As, as today. As of today, sell me the, the birthright. Why do Yaakov need to say today? He wants to buy it, so make the transaction. It's clear that they're obviously making it today. They're not making it yesterday. They're not making it tomorrow. By Emir Esav, okay, so Esav says back, look, I'm on my way out anyway. I'm going to die. Why do I need this birthright? Next Pasuk. Make an oath. 
make a make a make a make a shavu. Shavu is an oath, a promise. Make an oath again. Kayom, as of today. He says it now twice. As of today, make an oath. He swore. He made. He swore to him. And he sold the firstborn birthright to Yaakov. So the second question we have to ask is, what's the shavu? Why did he make an oath? Why, why does he have to swear? Why is he swearing? Why is he swearing? Again, so maybe we could say he's, he has to make a swear swear in order to make sure that Yaakov is not going to back out. I don't know. Just write up a, write up a contract. Right? Write up a bill of sale. Why do you, you don't need to make a shavu generally to to uh, to exchange things to make transactions to make transactions you don't have to swear why does Yaakov demand an oath a shvua now let's read one more pasuk let's ask a couple more questions Yaakov next pasuk so Yaakov gave to Esav what did he give Esav lechem he gave him bread unazid adashim and a dish a, a cooked lentil dish cooked lentil dish so here let's ask two more questions a what did Esav demand, and what was Esav willing to trade the birthright for? Adam, Adam, this red stuff. What does Yaakov give him? Lechem. It says lechem. Gave him bread. Gave him bread. Unazid adoshim. Gave him bread and a cooked lentil dish. So, hey, why did you give him bread? You didn't ask for bread. Well, you're going to give him something that wasn't in the deal? Why is Yaakov giving extras, giving freebies? You know, with every bowl of lentils that you trade your birthright for, it comes a complimentary challah roll. Well, why is he giving him the bread? Why is he giving him bread? He didn't ask for bread. No one said anything about bread. And then, also interesting that the Torah changes the phraseology over here. Asa referred to as Adam Adam. So if they were writing up a bill of sale, they probably would just write, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, um, the, the uh, undersigned are, are, are uh, committing to a sale on the day, this date of whatever, whatever. And uh, 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 Jacob is giving red, 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 red stuff. And Esav is giving his birthright. Esav wanted Adam, Adam. And the Torah, when the Torah refers to the sale, Torah calls it Nezid Adashim, a cooked lentil dish. Torah switches it back to a cooked lentil dish. So why this change? If Esav was demanding Adam, Adam, why when the Torah narrates what actually happened, the Torah switches it back to Nezid Adashim, a cooked lentil dish, um, which we didn't have this mentioned until now. Torah didn't refer to it as Nezid Adashim. Now Torah is referring to it as Nezid Adashim. So these are the questions over here just in terms of the details. And if we follow these questions, pursue them, to, to, uh, to follow, track them back to their layer, we may find very interesting ideas coming up to explain, give us maybe multiple explanations for the original question of how can you make a transaction on a Dabr Shaloi Bala something which, is, which does not yet exist. Okay, so let, let, let's, let's tackle the, the uh, case right now, based uh, armed with these clues, with these questions, we will find perhaps that the questions themselves may, in fact, be the answers. May be the answers, not just questions. So it's like this. Let's start with the oath. Let's start with the oath. Yaakov said, "Make a he shavali, swear to me, swear to me that you're selling me the birthright for the bowl of lentils for this for this lunch. Swear to me. Why the shavua? So we have a very interesting debate, and again, this already pops up in medieval commentators as to. The basic question that we mentioned earlier, that normally speaking, a matter which does not yet exist, next year's apple crap, which is not around yet, the, 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 the apple buds aren't even here, the, the apple trees don't have any leaves currently. I want to tell you, next year's apple crap, the says you can't do that. What if, though, what if the sale is sealed with an oath? You make a shavua. And I, Stan wants to buy next year's apple crap. I say, okay, Stan, Make a, we're, we're going to make um, 
I'll make a shavua. I'm going to make an oath. I'm going to swear to you that I'm selling you next year's apples. <clears throat> so, the Rush, who is one of the medieval commentators, and the tour, who is the son of the Rush, they both write, <clears throat> and the Rivash brings this down, that's where this is popularized, the Ketsois discusses this, that although, normally speaking, um, an item that doesn't yet exist cannot be sold, you can't transact it, if you make an oath, if it comes connected with this, with you, a problem, you, make a, you swear on it, you make a Shavua, then the Kenyan works, the sale is valid. You, if, if you make a, an oath, the sale does become valid. Now, this happens to be a big debate. Not everyone agrees to this. The Rivash, who brings us down, who was one of the medieval commentators, he says, no, no such thing. When the Gemara says you can't make a transaction with something that doesn't exist yet, you can't do it, period. With the oath, without the oath. With a shul, without a shul. With a promise, without a promise. You just can't do it. But the Rush and the Tour believe that you actually could do it. And the Rush brings a proof from, from, from this week's parasha. The Rush says, what's the proof that although normally something that doesn't yet exist you can't make a transaction on, but an oath does change the game and does allow you to do it? That's Yaakov and Esav. Because how was Esav able to sell to Yaakov the Bechar, the, the birthright? Which is a Dov Shaloi Baloi. And the answer is, because of the Shavu of Aishav Aloi. And that's why Yaakov demanded the oath. Because with an oath, it does work. So we do have a debate over here. We have a difference of opinion. But if you go with the opinion of the Rush, the approach of the Rush and the tour, not only the, the, this is how the transaction works, but this is why Yaakov is cleverly demanding a, 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 a promise, a shavua from Esav, in order to, to uh, authenticate the, the, the deal. Yes, Stan. But how are they similar? An apple crop, the apples don't exist yet. The birthright, it exists. He is the firstborn. It's there. Well, my, the, 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 the bracha might come at a future time, but it's going to come to him because he, it, it, it's existing. Right, so it's the birthright. There's, he's selling all the rights. He's selling all the rights. He's not, you know, Esau was born first and you can't do anything really bad then. You can't, no say in the world is going to be able to switch who was born first. Right, so it already exists. His birthright exists. But I'm saying, no, what I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying that that is something that, that can't be sold according to anyone. It's not sellable. You can't, you can't sell, a, a, you know, I, um, um, I don't know. Um, I like that beard over there. So I want to buy that beard. I want that beard to be my beard. I can't, I can't buy it and make it mine. Because on his face, not my face, right? Didn't we just so say I, that I can't buy your birthday. What's your birthday, Stan? <laughs> March 12th. Okay, I, March 12th. I, 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 I've always wanted to be born on March 12th. I'd like to buy your birthday. I'd like to make your birthday my birthday. This is right. Go ahead. Right, because that would be like selling just, the Brooklyn Bridge, right? We, we just, you'd, be, you'd happily sell me the Brooklyn Bridge as well. We, we just mentioned that the birthright didn't exist, or am I misunderstanding? Excuse me? The rights, the birthrights, the rights, the birthrights, rights, uh, being the operative word over here. The, 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 the privilege to work in the base. I make this like we mentioned earlier, the double portion of inheritance, the rights. That's what we remember in the beginning, that we mentioned the rights. So birthrights, in terms of birthrights, the rights that come with a birthright. But isn't it kind of like the same thing like a, a will or like, you know, leaving inheritance? Yeah, that that's some, well, sort of, yeah. Listen, they, it, it, there's goes off on a tangent a little bit, but um, there's, two, there's two ways to ensure that you get what you want when someone dies. One is to be the firstborn, you get the double portion. The other is, if someone does write up a will, then that overrides what the halacha has to say. You go based on the will, but Yitzchak didn't have a will. They could have convinced Yitzchak, sure. Yaakov could have gone over to Yitzchak and said to Yitzchak, I know my brother Esav is the firstborn, but dad, I'd like you to write in your will that I'm going to get the double portion. If he would have done that and, 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 and written up that Yitzchak is, that Ace, that Yaakov will get twice as much as long as he doesn't write in a way that he's pronouncing him as the firstborn. There's ways of doing it. But, you know, Yitzchak presumably was not, was not um, in a position, was not, w- would not be very amenable to that. Yitzchak really wanted Esav to get the, the birthrights, right? 
Because that's a will. Yeah, but we're not discussing a will. We're, we're discussing Esav has a right to get a double portion. He's selling that right to Yaakov. They're not changing the will. Yitzchak is the one that can write the will. They're not going to Yitzchak. So it's the rights, and these rights don't exist yet. The right of the firstborn to work in the base Mikdash, the right of the firstborn to all the perks and privileges that come together with the firstborn, all those rights, he's selling those rights. The fact that he's actually born first, again, that can't be sold, just like his birth dates cannot be sold. I have a, a niece, a niece who is um, born, who only has a birthday every few years. Imagine that. Now, I'm not talking about Shana February 29th. It works in Jewish years also. Cheshven and Kislev are two variable months. Cheshven sometimes has 30 days and sometimes has 29 days. This year it's a 30-day year. Cheshven had, 20, had 30 days. So I have a niece who was born on the 30th of Cheshven. She was born in a year that it were 30 days. But, but uh, much of the time, most years, Cheshven only has 29 days. So um, imagine only having to age... You know, every few years, you, you, it's, it's, it's how, that's the only age a year, like every two or three years. That would be amazing. So we'd all love to buy that birth date, but yeah, you can't do that. You can't change the Metzias, but you could buy the rights that come together with it. Okay, anyway. So, so th- we have a, a Machlaikas rush and, and the Rivash. Rivash himself brings us down, and he disagrees, but the rush holds that, that if, you, if, you, if you make together with the transaction you make an oath, you make a shavua that allows the transaction to have validity to take effect even on a davr and says the rush, that's what was going on over here with Yaakov and Esav and that's how Yaakov was able to buy the birthright, that's why he told him Yishavali, swear, make a promise the Rivash disagrees. So before we go on, so we do have one approach, but this approach obviously is not going to work according to everyone. We need other approaches as well because we have a whole, a whole realm of Talmudists who are going to disagree with this approach. That's the Rivash, and everyone's going to follow the Rivash who believe that the, the, the oath is not going to be able to, to, to um, allow the transaction to work. But just before we go on, just it, it, it just... Uh, it behooves us to understand a little bit what the <clears throat> uh, the Nukudas HaMachleikas is over here. That what's the point of contention before we go on? Um, what, what, what's the debate about? What's the, all the, the hubbub and the hullabaloo about over here? Whether or not, normally, again, next year's apple crap, you cannot transact it. You, you, can't, you, you can't sell something that doesn't exist yet. And we have a debate, a big Talmudic debate over here. Does making an oath change that? Is that a game changer? Why yes and why no? So the, 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 the standard approach over here is to say as follows. We can, as they say in the yeshivas and Talmudics, we can delve into the kishkas of why is it exactly, get into the Talmudics of, of, of why it is, the lambdas, uh, why, why can't I sell next year's apples? Why is it? I mean, they're going to be my apples, they're growing on my orchard, the trees are there ready, and there will be apples next year, right? Why can't I sell now next year's apples? Why indeed can't I do that in halacha? So there's two ways of understanding why you can't do that. And the standard approach is these two different ways of understanding create a, a major practical difference of, as, as, with whether or not a, an oath can compensate for the problem. So the two ways of understanding why you can't make a transaction something that doesn't yet exist is either the, 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 it's, it's, a, it's, it's just too slippery to, to, to work with. Something that's not around, what can you make a transaction? You can sell things that are solid, that are concrete, that are here, that, are, that exist, that are in reality. I can sell something that exists because I can get my hands around it halakhically, right? I can deal with it. I can wheel and deal. I, I can make transactions. Something that doesn't exist yet is too slippery, is too, is too, uh, is too, is too um, elusive and evasive. You can't get your Talmudic teeth 
in that object to transact it because it doesn't exist. Even though it will come, it's going to come, uh, have enough patience, those apples will come, but since it doesn't exist yet, it's not something that you can get your hands on halachically. And that's why kinyanim don't work. That's one way of understanding. The other way of understanding is not as much that it, it, it's not, it doesn't exist enough to transact. No, as far as existence goes, really we wouldn't have any issues with you selling things that are in the present or in the future. You could sell something that doesn't yet exist, you know, and, and the, the sale will kick in when it comes into existence. The problem is all sales, ultimately, all transactions in halacha are all about kind of ratifying and authenticating what we call gemiristas, what we call the mindset of the two parties making the transaction. There is the the das, the mindset and the intentions of the makna, the one, the seller, and the kaina, the buyer. So the seller has das makna, we say, I have in mind, I want to sell, I want to transact this to you, and the buyer has in mind that he wants to acquire it. <clears throat> So there's a whole other approach as to why transactions can't work halachically, talmudically, on things that don't exist yet, and not because they're just not, not, not because it's a problem in its existence, but it's a problem with the, the, the mindset, the dust. If I'm buying something from you and it's not around yet, there, I'm not really going to have quite enough intent and of a mindset of a buyer to wrap my head around that for us to say you met the threshold of that halachic, Talmudic intent that's required to make a transaction. We, we on our own can observe, we, 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 are, we are confident that if it's not in existence yet, you probably, uh, in, presumably, <clears throat> and we work with this presumption, <clears throat> excuse me, do not have enough focus on it, enough focus to be able to make that Kenyan. And that's why it doesn't work. So they want to say, that these two different approaches, what's the, it, what's the problem? What's the shortcoming with something that doesn't exist? Is it just, you can't make a transaction a period because it doesn't exist? Is the problem with the thing itself or is the problem with my mindset? A practical difference will be when you make a shvua. What if the guy who's selling it to me makes an oath? He swears to me that he's going to sell. I mean, so you're swearing that you're going to sell me those apples. That will be the practical difference that will be an afkamin over here. If you say the issue is they're too slippery to be acquired, so who cares about your oath? The apples are still not in existence. They're still too slippery. Your oath doesn't do anything for that. But if you say the issue is I don't have enough focus, I'm not, I'm not convinced enough of the sale because it's not here yet. I don't have enough intent. If you make an oath, you're guaranteeing with an oath that you're going to sell to me that compensates for that, that overcomes the lack of focus. Your oath is that compensatory factor and now I do have enough focus, I have enough kavon, I have enough das <clears throat> because of the guarantee that your oath is providing. Okay, so that's just as an aside what they seem to be arguing about. And again, approach number one does work over here. How Yaakov could have bought something that doesn't exist yet from Esau, the, the rights to the birthright. And it, the problem is it's, it's, it's dependent on this debate. If you say an oath, a shavua, swearing, will overcome, will compensate for this, that's the rush and the tour, then that's what was going on with Yaakov, that's why he made an oath. But if you say like the rush, we're still in a corner, we still have to, still have to figure out how the sale works. So we have, to, we have to move on to another approach to see how this is going to work for everyone else who's on the other side of the ring, who believes that the oath is not going to, to get us out of trouble. We do find other approaches. There's a whole other approach over here, which uh, parts of this, we, we've shared parts of this uh, discussion in the past, but I think now we're going to go into uncharted waters, things that we, we have not yet come up in previous years and past discussions. Um, the, <clears throat> the, um, there's two more basic approaches that I'd like to go through. We'll go through this quickly. Um, the Rashbam, who is one of the Rashi's grandson, actually uh, has a commentary on Chumash. The Rashbam says that it, it, the Torah rec records that they had bread 
and 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 he, Yaakov served him bread and Nazida Dashim. They sat down for a meal. Says Rashbam, why did they sit down for a meal? Because the common practice back then was when you made significant transactions, you would make a meal. The meal would be there to seal the deal. Make a meal. Bread. What? Breaking bread. Breaking bread. That's what the Rashbam says. And based on this, we can give a fascinating Talmudic approach. The Gemara talks about a concept of situmta. Situmta is a kidney transaction which is not made through the conventional methods that the Gemara talks about. The Gemara gives us several conventional methods. Buying through money or buying through, through bring something to my property or picking something up. These are well-known methods. Says the Gemara, there's also something called situmta. Situmta is when you go according to local regional practice. If the practice, the minigamokam, the local practice is to seal a deal with a handshake, sometimes it deals that are sealed with a handshake, making a l'chaim, in the diamond industry, in the diamond business, they do these, used to be, they, with a handshake, they would seal a deal with a handshake, they would always make a handshake. Certain places you make a l'chaim, let's make a l'chaim on this deal, let's make a l'chaim on the shidduch, or breaking bread. Says the, the Gemara, a situmta, a local practice. This is how they seal a deal. They, they, they close a deal with, with any kind of minig. That also becomes a Kenyan. And <clears throat> not only that, so this is the, the Rishonim, the Russians amongst them actually, the, the Russian others have an understanding that the power of a situmta, of a local accepted um, um, <clears throat> minog. To, to uh, ratify a uh, to to, uh, to to close a deal is so powerful that it can actually also work on a davrishaloi baloylam. It will work also on something that doesn't yet exist, a what's called a kinyan situmta. And the Rashbam apparently is telling us over here that what Yaakov and Esav did was they made a kinyan situmta. Why did they sit down to have to, to have this to have this uh, bread? Esav didn't ask for the bread. The answer is the bread wasn't part of the deal. The bread is part of the transaction. They broke bread, they ate together, and the, the, the minigamokam, the local practice was that when you sell something, you, you close the deal with a l'chaim, making a, a, having a snack together, having a meal together, and what they were in fact doing was kinyin situmta, and kinyin situmta, the situmta kinyin, can work even on a davr shalai even on something that doesn't yet exist. Conventional, conventional kinyanim, conventional... Um, ways of making transactions will only work on things that are in existence, but a situmta, a, a, a accepted local minute can work even on a davr shaloi So that, that explains to us now, unlocks one of the mysteries we asked earlier. Where, where did the bread come from, we asked, right? Why, why did Yaakov give him bread? No one asked for bread. Esav didn't ask for bread. Why is he giving them freebies? It's not a freebie. It's in order to make sure that they have the situmta done also over here. He wants to make sure that they're fulfilling the local practice, the local way of sealing a deal, of closing a deal, and that way they'll work, even on a Devashalabalalam. Now, will this work according to the Rivash? Presumably not. Um, we're probably going to end up in the same uh, hole that we did that we as we arrived that we ended up in earlier. Meaning, well, why is it that uh, that uh, the minigamalkum that the local accepted way of closing a deal with a lachaim with a handshake or with a meal will be able to work on devashal level? You have to say the same. You have to say the same uh, um, lumbus again. You have to say the same argument and logic. That normally the reason you can't acquire something that doesn't exist is because of a lack of focus. But if I do what the local kidding is, this is our kidding that we do here in this city, in this town, and we have to do a handshake, that allows me to overcome that. So we're still probably not going to be able to use this for the, the opinion of the Rivaj, who believes that um, 
if you hold that uh, the, the premise doesn't work, presumably you're also going to hold that the situm is not going to work. So we still need a third approach over here. But what this does at least give us is a way of understanding where the bread came from, where, where, what was going on with the bread. Okay, but there is a third approach also, a very interesting one, as to how the Kinyan was going on. And it also comes from one of the commentators over here in the Chumash itself, and that's the, the Sipurnoi over here, says that how did they make the transaction? He says the transaction was done through a Kinyan Chalipin. A Kinyan Chalipin. What's a Kinyan Chalipin? A Kinyan Chalipin is a conventional type of, of, of Kinyan. It means, like, it literally means it means bartering or trading. Kinyan Chalipin is I'm trading something for something else. I'm trading A for B. And again, conventional Minhagamar, I want Stan's cup of coffee. There's a number of ways I can get it. I can do Kinyan Hagba. That's lifting. I can do Kinyan Mashiach. I can bring it to my into my, you know, my, my possession through Mashiach. I can do a Kenyan Kesef, which may only be rabbinic. I can give Stan a dollar for his cup of coffee. Where can you get a cup of coffee for a dollar? I don't know, but I can give Stan a dollar for his cup of coffee. These are all conventional monogam. There's another, min- another uh, Kenyanim. There's another Kenyan called Chalipin. Chalipin is, now all these Kenyanim that we, that we discussed are Kenyanim that require the item to actually be present. Let's say Let's say it's not present. So, Stan, hide your cup of coffee for a moment. Yeah, good. Okay, that's yours. <laughs> that was the whole point. <laughs> All right. I'll get a cup of coffee somewhere else. Um, so, so, put it, but let's say it's at a distance. Let's say you have a cup of coffee at home, a, a coffee machine. How, do, can, how can I acquire something if it's not present, if, it, if, it's, if, it's, if it's at a distance? So that's where Kenyan Chalipin comes in. Chalipin is an exchange, a trade, bartering. So let's say Stan has a Keurig machine at home, and I want to buy that Keurig machine. Now, we could say, okay, Stan, bring it in. I'll pick it up. I'm making by picking it up. I'll do Mashiach. I'll bring it into my possession. I will, I will, I will um, lift it. Mashiach, Mesira, you'll hand it to me. If it's not here, though, and I want it nevertheless, we can do chalipin. Chalipin is, I say to Stan, okay, I'm going to trade you something for that, for that cup of coffee. I'm going to trade you this, this um, antique over here. This antique device. This is worth a lot of money. This is a museum piece, a flip phone. And um, I'm going to trade you this phone for your coffee machine that's at your, at, at, at your home, at, at, at home. So Chalipin works in the following way. We're, we're trading, and the item that's being traded for it doesn't have to be present. So Stan takes, let's give a demonstration, just to show everyone in, in our audience over here. He takes the phone, he acquires my phone, and, and I acquire from him what was agreed upon as the exchange for this phone. But and wherever have, it is, it's now mine. Wherever it is, wherever it is, it's mine now. But do you have to denote what you're exchanging? Yeah, 100%. For? So we say, I'm going to get your X, whatever that is, the coffee machine, a cup of coffee, wherever, wherever it may be in exchange for the phone. You take the phone, the phone is yours, and now what was agreed upon becomes mine wherever it is. That's Kinyan Chalipin, okay? And that is one of the conventional Kinyan that, that's discussed in the Gemara, Kinyan Chalipin. The Sifurna, listen to what Sifurna says. He says, Chalipin. He's doing, he was making a Kenyan Chalipin over here. This bowl of Chalins was, in exchange, was being traded for the rights of the birthrights. Okay, so he's identifying this as Kenyan Chalipin. Now, what's the significance of that? So here we have a beautiful idea over here. The significance of that is Kenyan Chalipin. Is that similar to what we do on Pesach when we sell our chumash? 
Um, Technically, it's not there. It's a contractual sale. N not really. Not really. The picking up the pen is sort of chalipa, but it's not for the chametz. That's just to make the, the deputize the, the, the rabbi as your agent. But the chametz is not. They do it. You know where they do chalipa at a wedding. If you pay the close attention, next time you're at a wedding, you see the chassan does a kinyan chalipa. He picks up a tie. He picks up a pen. He picks yeah. up someone's yamaka. That's kinyan chalipa. You remember doing that, Stan? Yes, that's a kinyan chalipa. So you're picking that up, and the kala is getting. Um, Rights in exchange for you're making a trade with with your kala. <clears throat> anyway, so kinyan chalipin, the commentators want to say, can also work on a davar shaloi Can work on something that doesn't yet exist. It can work on something that doesn't yet exist. I how can it work on something that doesn't yet exist? It should be even worse. It should be worse. You're trading. I'm trading the phone for something you have over there. How can I trade you for something that, that's not here, right? I can only trade this phone. You get the phone and I get your item, item X. But item X is something that doesn't exist yet. How can I trade you and how can you get this and have something to be sent back to me that doesn't yet exist? So they say a fasting idea. They, they, they infer, okay, this obviously to get, to get properly into this topic would take us all the way into Masechus Kedushin, which is beyond the scope of this morning's class. But the long and short of it is that the... the Talmudists want to argue based on how the commentators present to us the Kenyan Chalipin, the trade barter type of Kenyan, that it, it, it's a conventional Kenyan, but it's a non-conventional conventional Kenyan. A conventional transaction is um, uh, 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 there's just there's there's two directional transactions, there's movements. Uh, you get my money, I get your horse. You get um, uh, Lunch, and I get uh, you know something that, that that is right here right now. I, I, you get the check, and I get these these apples. There is just this movement, a transaction of two items that are going back and forth. Normally, conventional kinyanim take effect on items. Chalipin, they want to say, doesn't take effect on items. It's not an item-based transaction. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. When we do a kinyanim, what you're in effect doing when you take my phone. It's not that the phone goes into your possession and this, this coffee machine kind of flies through lambda space and now enters my possession. Rather, you take my phone is, is you guaranteeing to live up to your word and that locks you in. That's what locks you in and that's what locks the item that was agreed upon into me is that it, 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 it locks you into a commitment, it locks you into a guarantee. All other conventional kinyanim is actually happening with the items and the objects. Okay, I know we're getting into technical things over here. We'll try to just keep it clear and simplified. Other kinyanim, like we said, kinyan hakba is a transaction on, on an item. Bring something into my possession is a transaction on an item. Chalipin is not a transaction on an item. It's guaranteeing an, a, your commitment. You're making a commitment to give something to me, and it locks you into that commitment. You've committed and guaranteed that coffee machine, so now I have a, d a demand on that, a right to that in Bezdin. If chalipin is really just locking you into something, not happening on your coffee machine, it's happening to you, it therefore can happen on something that doesn't yet exist because you're guaranteeing that when those apples are, are ripe, you're guaranteeing me all those apples. Those apples are going to be mine. 
It's, 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 the Kenyan is happening in you, not in the item. It's happening in you. It can ha- you can be guaranteeing something doesn't exist yet either. What's the big deal? So this is why they did Chalipin. According to the Rashbam, they did Chalipin, a, a trade, a barter type exchange, in order for Asaph to be able to lock himself into something that didn't yet exist. But isn't that, go back to my question of whether or not it has to be something specific, that if it's on him, then it's not specific. Yeah, it was on the rights. He's guaranteeing all the rights. But just now you said it doesn't have to be, it's a guarantee on the person, it's not on No, 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 no. there's two things. The it's where exactly what what is what is agreed upon but where does the transaction show up where does it show up where does it take effect it always has to be on something that's agreed upon but is the transaction taking effect on what was agreed upon or is the transaction taking effect on you and you're guaranteeing what was agreed upon so it's the latter the transaction takes effect in you something changes in you and it, it forces you now you are locked into guaranteeing what was agreed upon over there but something still has to be agreed upon so just the kidding with a check uh, I don't know. Let's leave that. Let's let's get back to that afterwards. But okay. but let's just understand Khalipin without bringing in the checks. Okay. Okay. Everybody got that. What a fascinating insight. And and therefore, Asaph is locked into this um, through the Kinyan Khalipin, and now he has to give the birthright because he's guaranteed. He's guaranteed to give that uh, through the Kinyan Khalipin. Now, just to wrap that up, there's a few a few. Um, the, the, to tie the bow on that and to put the cherry on top of the bow that's on top of this uh, one last thing here within Chalipin, or maybe two, two last things so first of all there's always a discussion of transactions that if something, a transaction is going to happen on something halakhically, it has to come with a process that process is either you know, hagbah, mashicha, picking up or, or money, or barter, chalipin anytime a transaction happens on something, the process there's always a problem if the process is, is, is finished, is no longer ran by the time the transaction has to take effect. It's called kolsa kenyana, just to hear the, 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 the Talmudic expression over here. Um, there's a transaction, and that's, there's what's effectuated from the transaction. And if what's effectuated, what it's effectuated um, is happening at a time frame that the transaction is no longer present. The, the process itself is gone, gone with the wind. That's called Kulsa Kenyana, and, and, and we can't connect it to anymore. So there's one more issue they ask over here, that even if you're going to say it's Chalipin, if you're going to say that it was a trade, and the trade is not happening in the, in the, in the rights, it's happening in Asim, and Asim is able to make the guarantee, and, and therefore when the rights come in later on, the, the double portion, or his burial plot, or the servitude in the Beis HaMikdash, so good, he was able to guarantee that he's locked in, but, but the, the, the process itself was the was the bowl of Chalant, and that's gone, far, far, far gone, and gone for a very long time by the time that the guarantee kicks in. So how do you connect the process with the, the, the item that's being guaranteed by the process? There's a disconnect over here, and that's always problematic. If, if it's called Sakanyana, the item that was used to effectuate it is, 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 is gone, then the power to guarantee it is also gone. So how do you get around this? There's one way to get around this. If you, can, if you make it, retroactive, then it does work. In other words, if you say, give me this polachant, and by I'm accepting this polachant, I'm guaranteeing through Chalipin that I'm going to trade you all the rights that I have for the first morning, and I'm guaranteeing them as of today, as of today it's going to kick in, then it works because even though later on when all those rights come into existence, the polachant's not around anymore, but it, those, those rights were guaranteed already retroactively from this point in time from right now. We call that lemafreya, we call that retroactive, and we call that um, inserting it's a kin, it's happening today. It's happening today. So, 
we have the following beautiful approach now. They were able to do a kidney chalipin, and they were able through via, via the trade type kidney get around the issue of a davar shaloi baloyim or something that's not existence because Esav is really guaranteeing it happens to Esav. I how can he guarantee something doesn't exist based on bold shalom? That's not going to be in existence when those items come in. Terence says they did it retroactively. How do we know they did it retroactively? How do we know? Because Yaakov twice said, "Let's do it retroactively." Yaakov said, "Michra chayoyim es bicharasrichli." I want the transaction to take effect today. And he said, Let's make sure it happens today. Why do you say twice? He's inserting this into the kingdom to make sure it's going to happen retroactively to be able to get around the pram of the Bolt Shalom not being in existence when the rights are going to kick into existence. Um, one last, last, last thing within Chalipin. So the Rajbam says that. Um, the Kinnich Chalipin says, might, says the Rajbam might have been with the bowl itself, not even with the Shalom. Maybe he was using the bowl. The bowl. Why, the, the trade might have been effectuated with the bowl, not the Shalans. Now, what would be the advantage of doing it with the bowl, not the Shalans? So there's a big debate in the Gemara. When you use a Kinnich Chalipin, a trade type Kinnich, there's an opinion in the Gemara that it doesn't work on, on food, on food items, on peri, what's called peri. It, it can only work with a kli, with a vessel, and it can't work with food. So according to that opinion, Yaakov would have needed to use a kli, a vessel, and he couldn't have been able to use it with the food. And that's what the Rashbam is saying, that, that, that perhaps the kinnich halipun was done with the bowl itself and not with the food. And if you go with that, that solves the final mystery over here. Yaakov demands Adam, Adam, he wants the red stuff, wants the lentils. Yaakov wants to use this to make a kinyan in order to get the birthrights. Yaakov says, I'll do it on the nazira dashim, on the cooked lentil dish. On the cooked lentil dish, because the food itself is not going to be able to work for the kinyan. It's got to be the dish, it's got to be the kli. So that answers all the mysteries over here, Abba Yisai. Why kayoim? Because it has to be retroactive. Why the nazira dashim? Because we have to use a dish for and why the Shvua, there we have the other approach. He demands a Shvua to use the Shvua to get around Dav Shaloi Baloilam. And I saw one of the, uh, one, one of the, one of the, um, uh, Rav Asher Weiss actually says that, that he wants to learn that Yaakov was doing all of the above. The Yaakov actually did all of the Kenyanim all at the same time. See, we talked about Situmta also, that's why they did the bread, to have a meal in order to, uh, to, to go with the regional minig. Um, so, see, he wants to say that Yaakov, you know, Yaakov was the, the, the Tamudist, he was the Yosheva Yehalem, he was sitting and learning all day. Yaakov wanted to do this in such a way that they were covered, every single passable Kenyan was covered over here, so Esav doesn't have any way out. All the Kenyan were covered, Situmta and Chalipin, and making the Shavuah, and, and uh, that way this is locked in, and the deal is closed and sealed for eternity. Okay, thank you everyone for joining. Everyone should have a wonderful day.